to our church. But something prevents us from acting on it. Maybe it's the fear of what they might think. Maybe it's a feeling that we're in some way disqualified. Maybe we feel like we don't have all the answers yet, or that we don't want to put our friends on the spot. But Easter's just around the corner, and that changes the game. It's unique, because most people already want to go to church on Easter. They just need to be invited. So what might happen if you asked God, who? That's it. God, who should I invite? He will answer that prayer because he's anxious to answer that prayer. We only need ears to hear. And maybe that voice has actually been his voice all along. Sure, what's up? And so that's what we're asking you to pray over the next couple of weeks. We're asking you to pray that simple prayer, who? Because there are some people in your life who need to hear the gospel. There are some people in your life who um, aren't a part of any sort of church And it's those people that we want you to think about inviting. And then between now and April 21st on Easter, uh, we would like for you to have that that person by your side. We're calling this the plus one challenge. That is, what if every one of us said, I'm going to be here on April 21st, but I'm not just going to be here. I'm going to be here with one other person. I'm going to be here with that person that God has revealed to me that I should invite. It might be very obvious to you right now who you need to invite, but maybe you need to spend some time praying and asking God, who is it that I should invite? And so we do a lot of things on Easter Sunday morning to make it easy for you to have a friend by your side. We have several services. We'll have our normal Easter sunrise service in the courtyard. That is a beautiful service. It's a wonderful service to invite your friends to. Uh, We'll have our breakfast like we normally do. We'll have a a big service in here with a lot of uh, excitement and joy. We'll have uh, Bible classes as usual, and then we'll have uh, our our final service of the day, which on that day won't be our second service, but it'll be our third service. And we have some cards in the foyer. And so if you would take one of these cards and then be prayerful about who you can invite uh, to be by your side on April the 21st. When I was growing up, I uh, lived in the southern part of Illinois, so the Chicago Bears were the team that I always rooted for. Now, I must tell you, since I've moved to Tennessee these last 10 years, I've become very much of a Titans fan. So let's just sort of get that out in the open as I begin with this story. Uh, but there was a motivational speaker by the name of John Cassis. And Mr. Cassis, at one point, was, um, was one of the chaplains for the Chicago Bears football team. And he happened to be a chaplain back in the heyday, back in the 80s, when the Bears were really good. And so one day, he was there, and Mike Ditka was leading the team in a a rousing pep talk. And as he begins his talk, 
he looks over at William Refrigerator Perry. Now, some of you might remember who that is. The fridge was a, was a man. He was a large man. He was a big man. I mean, even among a bunch of football players, you think this guy is a large guy, about 330 or 40 pounds or so. And he looked over at the fridge, and he said, after I get done, I would like for you to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And so Fridge nodded his head, and Ditka went on with his talk. Well, about this time, uh, Jim McMahon, who's the quarterback at the time, he nudged John Cassis, and he said to him, Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And Cassis says, of course he does. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and McMahon said, look at him. He looks nervous, doesn't he? And sure enough, you know, he's kind of nervous looking. And so McMahon said to Cassis, I'll tell you what, I'll bet you 50 bucks the Fridge can't lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Cassis said, later on, I thought the irony of, of all of this, here, here we were sitting in chapel betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer. And so Ditka finished his talk, and at the end of his talk, he looked over at, at William Perry, Refrigerator Perry, nodded his head. He said, guys, take off your caps. Everybody took off their caps. And the fridge paused. You could tell he was, he was nervous. And with a shaky voice, he bowed his head and said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. Well, about this time, Cassus felt a rap on his shoulder, and it was a McMahon. He, McMahon said, Here's the 50 bucks. I had no idea Fridge knew the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> well, most of us probably in this room, we, we know the Lord's Prayer. We could point to Matthew chapter 11, and we could quote those words. Or maybe we could look at the shorter version of the prayer uh, in Matthew 6, in Luke uh, 11, and we could read that one too. We know those words. But I'm wondering how many of us know how involved the Holy Spirit is in our praying. Now we know that Jesus has some role in our prayers. After all, after we pray, we end up saying something like, in Jesus' name, in, in, by Jesus' authority, by Jesus' power, we, we bring this request before the very throne of God. Yet I wonder how many of us know the Holy Spirit's involvement in our praying. And yet the fascinating thing is, all through the scripture, you read this phrase, praying in the Spirit. So for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, at the very end of that book, after Paul helps us to understand how we're involved in spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, I mean, it is, it is serious, so serious that Paul says, I want you to put this armor on, and he describes every piece of the armor. And finally, at the very end of Ephesians chapter 6, he says this in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Did you get that? Pray in the Spirit. And we wonder, what does that mean to pray in the Spirit? Also in that, that small book that we don't pay much attention to in our New Testaments, the book we call Jude, in verse 20 we read this. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And there we find that phrase again. And so we wonder, what does it really mean to pray in the Spirit? So I want us to spend most of our time this morning in Romans chapter 8 
looking at a couple of verses, 26 and 27. If you have your Bibles, you may want to just open up to that passage. And I want us to look there because in Romans 8, Paul doesn't just give us a passing reference to this idea, but what what Paul does, I think, is he helps us to understand what it means to pray in the Spirit. Now, I want to admit at the very beginning of this message that we have a problem with regard to prayer. And the problem is not that we, we don't know the correct technique or strategy. I mean, there are a lot of books you could find that, that give us some new technique or some new strategy of praying. The problem isn't that we, we don't bombard heaven enough with our requests. So, oh, certainly, as we've seen, there's merit to persistence. There's merit to praying passionately. In other messages, we talked about that. But the problem with regard to our praying, at least according to Paul, is that we're weak. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that just as hope sustains us when we suffer, the Spirit sustains us when we're weak. And this this weakness is not some sort of rare, out-of-the-ordinary lapse or weakness. I mean, most of the time, we're really courageous and strong. No, this weakness is something that we're, we're all a part of because we're part of this fallen, broken world. We live in a fallen, broken body. Remember when Jesus one time was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he took his disciples to be with him to watch and pray. This was a very intense moment for Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And all he asked them to do was to keep watch wait for him and so then Jesus went a little farther and he falls to his knees and on his face to the ground he spent an hour praying and after he was finished praying he came back and what do you think the disciples were doing were they praying Uh, were they involved in some spiritual conversation about all the things they were experiencing when Jesus came back to them he saw that they were asleep And Jesus said to them that they needed to be careful that they would fall into temptation. And then he makes this famous statement. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. That's true. As long as we're in this body, as long as we live in this world, we experience weakness. And that weakness might show up in many ways. But I'm convinced one of the ways it shows itself is in our life of prayer. Now, this passage we're going to read in just a second, it really encourages me. Uh, We've spent a lot of time this year talking about prayer. You may recall that we began our year with a series on prayer. We called the message series Ask. Ask, Seek, Knock. And we spent three weeks looking at, at that. How that prayer in its most basic form is asking. And then there's a deeper kind of prayer where we, where we seek. And then there's another kind of prayer when we knock on heaven's door. We, we passionately persist in our prayer. We talked about that. And then we spent 30 days praying specifically for some people. And we sent cards uh, into our area. Cards to these people that we prayed for. But i got to tell you, this week's sermon and these two verses that I've had the privilege of thinking about and praying over and studying has encouraged me more than maybe anything I've ever read. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now this word help is used only twice in your New Testament. It's used here by, by Paul in Romans 8, and it's used by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. There's that story when, when Jesus is visiting his three probably greatest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's there in their home, and, and Martha is, is, is working. She's busy. She's getting things ready for this visit, and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's getting just a little bit upset with, with Mary. And so then Martha tells the Lord, tell Mary to help me. There's our word. Tell her to help me. Tell her to come in here to the kitchen and pick some things up and get busy and help me with all the preparations that need to be made. The Spirit is our helper when it comes to prayer. He comes and He stands alongside us. The Spirit helps us. Why? Well, Paul tells us why we need help because we don't even know what we should pray for. Often when we think about prayer, we think it's something that we must do by ourselves. And yet the amazing thing about this passage is it says the Spirit is right beside us. The Spirit is within us, interceding for, uh, for us. Now when I read the phrase, in the same way, that, that's the way the verse begins. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When I read that phrase, I know that phrase connects us back to Paul's previous thought in the, the foregoing paragraph. And so if I'm going to learn what it means to pray in the Spirit, I need to follow Paul's thought. And so Paul, in, this, in the preceding paragraphs in Romans chapter 8, he's talking about how we wait. What do we do when we experience sufferings and difficulties in this fallen and broken world? That's, that's our experience in this world. And Paul says, well, while we're waiting, he says we, we groan. Now the word groan... It's used in our couple of verses, but it's used two other times in Romans chapter 8. For instance, up in verse 22, it's used there. Paul says, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We read that phrase, we might scratch our heads and wonder, how in the world is the creation groaning? I mean, what's that about? Because, you see, the, the creation is growing, groaning because when Adam and Eve sinned back in Genesis chapter 3, their sin, their rebellion against God, it ricocheted off of them and, and off of sinful humanity, and now it's permeated all of creation. And as a result of their actions, the creation has lost its equilibrium, lost its balance. Now, roses have thorns, and the lion can no longer lie down with the lamb. The created order is off kilter now we experience things like earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and and so since sin has been injected into the created order it's wreaked havoc everywhere all creation is groaning anticipating that moment when everything is set right in the new heaven and the new earth and the metaphor that Paul uses to describe this, this groaning, to describe this anticipation when the new heaven and new earth is set right, the, the metaphor he uses, he says, it's like this world is in the pains of childbirth. 
until everything is made right. It's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, that's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? I've never experienced that. But I've been in the room three times when someone I'm very close to has experienced it. I've been in the room three times when, when at one point she was experiencing what was called Braxton Hicks contractions. And she said to me, well, this is not going to be that bad. I think I can do this. And then she experienced the real contractions. And it got pretty intense. And we were longing for that moment when that, that precious baby girl or that precious baby born, boy would be born. And then there's this incredible joy in that moment when this new life comes into existence. And Paul is using that, that imagery to say it's like the world is groaning. The world is anticipating this moment when everything is set right, when finally we experience the new heaven and the new earth. But not only is creation groaning according to Paul in Romans 8 but also in verse 23 look we are groaning creatures are groaning and so Paul says not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan there's our word groan inwardly as we wait together for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies and so we may wonder why do we groan I mean, we're told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 that we've been adopted. And now because of that, we've been given the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. You see, even though we have experienced adoption, our adoption isn't quite complete. We groan because we're longing for the redemption of our bodies. We still inhabit the old body, and this body is decaying. And if you don't believe that, just take a look in the mirror. If you don't believe that, just look back at some old pictures. If you don't believe that, that your body is decaying, that your body is getting older, just ask your neighbor. No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't ask your neighbor. We're in church. We put them in a place where they'd have to lie and tell you how great we all look. But the truth of the matter is, every last one of us are getting older, right? We're, we're, this body is decaying, and as a result of that, we struggle with disease. And also, as a result of that, we still struggle with sin. And there's this sense in which we feel like we're making progress, and then there are other days when we think, I thought, I, I thought I'd made such progress, and we feel so broken and fallen. And so on the one hand, yes, we've experienced redemption and God, by His Spirit, lives in us, and we cry, Abba, Father, and we have this sense of closeness with God, but on the other hand, we still struggle with, with this body and we haven't completely experienced adoption. It's not complete until one day when we pass from this earth and our body is planted in the ground. And just like Jesus on the third day was raised up and given a new glorified resurrected body, we too will be given a brand new body, a body that's not susceptible to cancer. A body that's not susceptible to disease. A body that's not susceptible to heart, heart issues and, and heart disease. A body where we don't lose hair. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it probably will be. A body that's perfect. We will and everything in that moment will be set right. But until that moment, we groan, longing for everything to be set right. And so here in Romans 8, Paul says the creation is groaning. We are groaning, and the amazing thing is the Spirit is groaning. Paul tells us this in verse 26. Look in your Bible. 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, notice, through wordless what? Wordless groans. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit of God making intercession for us? Now here's something that I discovered this week in my study that just astounded me. I guess I've read it many times because I've read Romans 8 over and over again. But in Romans 8, we have the Spirit. He's inside us, interceding for us. And if you read on down in Romans chapter 8, around verse 34, not only is the Spirit interceding for us, but you've got Jesus interceding for us. The Spirit inside us and Jesus beside God. We read passages like Romans chapter 8, verse 31, which says, Is God before us? Who can be against us? And we think to ourselves, Here God is so much for us that He gives us the Spirit who intercedes for us. And then now there's Jesus. He's right beside God the Father, and He is interceding on our behalf as well. God has such an interest in us that both the Spirit and the Son are at work interceding for us right now. And so what does this mean that the Spirit intercedes for us? To intercede means to go to another on another's behalf. And that's what the Spirit does for us. We need someone to intercede for us because, friends, many times we don't even know what we should even pray for. There are moments when I go into a hospital room and quite honestly, I'm torn. I don't know if I should pray for healing for the brother or sister in bed, or I don't know if I should pray that they would have peace as they pass into the very presence of God. There's so many things I don't, I don't know what to pray for. It seems like we spend an awful lot of our time praying for sick people, and that's, that's important. We, we need to pray for sick people. We spend an awful lot of our time praying for sick saints. If we're not careful, we spend most of our time trying to keep saints out of heaven, the sinners out of hell, quite frankly. But as I pray, I, I, don't, I don't know what to often pray for when it comes to many situations. My words seem so feeble. My, my words seem so shallow or temporary or short-sighted. But here's the comfort I receive from this passage. The Spirit always intercedes, goes to the Father on my behalf in accordance with the will of God. And God's will is always perfect, is always right and good. The Spirit always prays effectively. He knows God's plans and purposes. It's almost like the Spirit is an editor working with a writer. The editor shapes the words, and that's the Spirit. Oh, my words are feeble, my words are weak, but God's Spirit lives in me, shaping those words, bringing those words before the throne of God. The Spirit goes before the Father to interpret and give voice to my requests in accordance with the will of God. So sometimes we also need the Spirit to intercede because the pain in our life is simply too great. There are those moments when we, we can't pray. There are those moments when we can't utter the words. Have you had that experience? I have. There have been those times in my life when the stress or the difficulty or the heartache was so great and I, I just couldn't, couldn't form the words. 
This week, I read someone and they said, you know, words are trucks that carry thoughts. Think about that. Words are trucks that carry thoughts. Quite honestly, sometimes the thought is too heavy for any truck. Sometimes there are things that are so deep and so distressing and so heavy we don't know how to put it into words. And when prayer seems impossible for us in that moment, do you understand that the Holy Spirit of God in that moment takes what's on our heart and he brings those things before the very throne room of God the Spirit groans. The Spirit brings those things before the Father. Now, if you read in your commentary, you'll find a lot, of, a lot of conversation in the commentaries about verse 26. And there's a lot of discussion about who's groaning. Is it we who are groaning in those difficult moments? I mean, is it, is, is it us that are, that, that's bringing, you know, we can't really say anything, so it's just like, it's like a, it's like a groan. We're, we're just bringing that before God. Or is it the Spirit that's groaning? I wonder, why couldn't it be both? In those moments, in those moments, those difficult moments, those hard moments, it's, it's then that the Holy Spirit merges with the human spirit. And I take great comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit brings all the things I cannot even utter before the Heavenly Father. The creation groans, we groan, and the Spirit Himself groans he enters into our agony and our difficulty friends as i read this passage i come to understand that to pray in the spirit is to is to pray with the assurance that we have help in our praying we're we're not alone that the spirit helps our weakness the spirit helps us to know what to pray and the the spirit goes before the father on our behalf even when we cannot when I look at the church in the New Testament, and there are those days when I think that the modern church, today's church, is so different from that church. And yet when I look at the church in the New Testament, I know that early church was mighty, mighty in power. You read the first half of Acts and you see that. They were mighty in power because they were mighty in prayer. And they were mighty in prayer because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe you've come into this room today and you find yourself in a place where you cannot pray. Maybe, maybe you don't even know what you ought to pray for. The encouragement we get from this scripture is that the Holy Spirit of God within you is interceding for you and he is bringing that request to God. But here's something else I want to encourage you with. Because not only does the Holy Spirit intercede for us, as we said a moment ago, Jesus intercedes for us. But here's something very exciting to me, is that as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we get to intercede for one another. And so in just a second, as Curry comes and leads us in one more song, we're going to have a, we'll have a couple of, of leaders, elders, in the back with their, their spouses. And they'll be in the very back, and I'll be down front. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if this morning is not your morning to say, I've I got something on my heart. I just need a brother or sister to pray for me. I just need some other people to intercede for me. I just need some other folks to voice those prayers because I, I don't have the strength. My hurt is too deep. 
This morning can be a wonderful morning for you. It can be a wonderful time of ministry. Avail yourself to these brothers and sisters in the back. Or maybe this morning you've come into this place and you know you're far from God. You're not even a Christian. You've never, you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe today is your morning to put your faith in Christ, to be baptized into, into Him, have your sins washed away, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will come and live in you and help you to live out this new calling in your life. Today, if you have a need we can help you with, come as we stand and as we sing. Lord.